this is Amber Kempthorne. There's so many of you. This is not cool. Okay. Um, so, uh, so okay. So, a couple of things. So, first of all, I'm getting over a cold, so I'm like, I'm already a loud person, but I will probably be extra loud, which is probably good. But I can't hardly hear anything. Um, hopefully, you guys will have some questions, and um, certainly there will be time for questions. But if you're just like totally inspired by something I'm saying, then please just raise your hand and, you know, this will be a little bit of more organic conversation. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Um, I know that uh, I think almost all of you have been required to be here, but thank you so much for coming. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start with, this is so funny, so I know that those of you in um, Chris's drawing class have this expressive drawing assignment that you're working on right now that deals a lot with metaphor. Um, metaphor is something that's pretty significant in how I think about the work I make. And uh, so I want to start with this thing. So I'm sure most of you have heard of a mockingbird, right? Oh, I should also say this is like PG-13 rating. I'll probably swear a few times, <laughs> right? OK, uh, is that 13? Can you swear? Is that R-rated? If their parents are yeah. Depends on what yeah. word it is. I know, but you know. It's, you know. It depends, depends on whether they're parents. <laughs> it depends on They're All adults. Right. Okay, so, uh, so most of you know what a mockingbird is, or at least even if you know what it looks like, you know a mockingbird is a kind of bird. Okay, cool. Well, they, um, the Latin name for a mockingbird is minus polyglottis, which means many-tongued mimic, okay? Um, they, as a, as a creature, you know, they build, they are known to build up to, like, variations of, like, 300 different types of songs. And they build these songs from um, other birds' songs and calls, cat sounds, dogs. They've been known to mimic car alarms, like, other human-made sounds, right? So I am uh, kind of a visual mimic. I am operate, and the way I make my work is very much like this, this mockingbird. Um, Tom Robbins is an author who's super fucking amazing. If you guys haven't ever read him, you should. He wrote this great book called Still Life with a Woodpecker. Anybody read it? Thank you, ladies. <laughs> um, anyway, it's a wonderful book, uh, and he wrote really poetically about the mockingbird, talking about how they're sort of like the artists of the bird species and how they recreate the world from the world, you know, like taking scraps of things from here and there and then putting them all together to make something new. Um, and this is just, this is very much my practice. Um, so I use collage, both literally, you know, physically using cut paper and all that, um, and then metaphorically, right? So I'm extracting <coughs> regularly from all different kinds of places. Um, so <laughs> I, um, I guess maybe, maybe one of the easiest things would be to start with something. All right, I know everybody can't see, but okay, so like between these two artworks, there are a number of things happen, happening. There's a lot of methods I use to make the work. I'm using a lot of different media, so not just, so can everybody see this drawing? It's big, right? So, okay. So this, all of this here is actually uh, paper collage. And I use a lot of found papers. Um, a, a big, I have a massive collection of um, security envelopes. Uh, I know that you guys are of a generation where just so much of your lives happen online, so maybe you don't know what it is to write a check and pay an electric bill. But, um, you know, they come in these envelopes that have these patterns on the inside of them. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Um, so if, you, if you're near almost, almost every drawing in this space, but like this, you know, this square jam, this hot or fluorescent pink number over here, um, if you see an element that has a pattern, that's most likely coming from one of these security envelopes. So, you know, I save those. Everyone knows I save them. My hairdresser, my, you know, everybody 
can save me these envelopes, and they give them to me. And then I cut them out and build these, build these shapes. Um, most often, I use them to build this sort of um, landscape. Um, I am a big uh, fantasy nerd, you know, like my, my dad's like one of these Trekkie guys, and so I was totally raised on Star Trek, and um, I love the Tolkien, like Lord of the Rings books and all that kind of stuff when I was a kid. And um, uh, for as uh, sort of disrespected by the super literary world as Tolkien is, he was a really, uh, you know, he's a really profound writer. He wrote regularly about the act of telling stories and fairy tales. And one of the things that he wrote was that, um, you know, because a lot of times people like sort of deride fantasy, right? Like um, escapism as being something that's not responsible maybe even, you know? Um, but he talked about how, you know, how can you sort of blame a person who's in prison, right, for imagining a life without bars, right? You guys get what I'm saying? Okay, so um, I'm, not, uh, I'm not equating, like, actual living to that exactly, but um, you guys all know, you know, it's not always easy, right? And if you're thoughtful about kind of what's melancholic about being a human being, it's nice to have the respite of, you know, somewhere for your imagination to be. So um, a, a lot of, almost all of my work, you know, ends up, you know, sort of being in this kind of imagined place. So, you know, I'm collating or just all, I'm bringing all of these things together. Am I making sense? Okay. Um, that's so funny. Uh, so, okay, so if I go back to, to, like, if you think about, again, if you think about this idea of collage, not just in terms of the content, but in terms of the materials, you know, there's something, hi, um, you know, this black wave I've made using um, a stencil, and this is uh, charcoal, charcoal sticks, so there are aspects of drawing in all the work that are also um, uh, rep like repetitive, so, um, I think I said so like 17 times in our lessons. Is that right? Mm. Come on, John. <laughs> okay, so um, there, I just did it again. Um, okay, so when I make a stencil, um, I, it's, like, it's like drawing a thing three times, right? So I will draw out the stencil, I will cut the stencil, and then I will use the stencil, right? So there's this like repetitive mark, and you can see it like this, you know, this black charcoal thing that's happening in this fluorescent drawing here, um, even in even in areas, I'm gonna come, I'm moving around. Even in areas like this gesture, can you guys, I know not everybody's been able to see, but these smaller things, I'm making these using stencils, okay? Um, I'm airbrushing as well, and airbrushing is, I'm getting a little more proficient, and that's um, also through the use of stencils. So like something like this figure blimp, I'm drawing these, I'm drawing these objects and then cutting them out and then and then making them again. So there's this real ritual element to the way I to the way I make work. And I'm like that as a human being. I mean I think a lot of people are, but you know, I get up, I shout, I make my coffee, I do you know, all of it is in the exact same order, right? Every day of my life. So when I go into the studio, it's you know, it's really this very regular, rhythmic thing that happens. Um, and I say that because um, I think that you'll see, so kind of like getting back to even Chris's, this, Chris's assignment this, for this expressive drawing class, you know, you'll see a lot of the imagery is being also being repeated, right? There's blimps, heron, um, this mountain, the moon, you know, the sea, sky, this kind of thing. Um, and a lot of that stuff in terms of the landscape, like the moon, the water, the, the water and sky, this sense of liminality, you guys know this word, you know, like where it's as if, you know, a thing doesn't have like a hard end or a hard beginning really, like a sunset or a sunrise is a liminal passage of time, right? It's kind of happening. You guys get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I really like um, liminality again, sort of metaphorically, because it also... Um, reflects the way our brains operate, right? Like the way we think 
you know, we might remember a thing and then be back in the present and it kind of like our, our thoughts move the same way. Um, and so that's, uh, often, that's often reflected then in this, you know, like there are these passages where, um, like in this little purple drawing in the very back corner where it's kind of sky, water, sky, you know, it's all existing in the same space. There isn't this sort of hard line. Um, and why I guess that's important is because, you know, the, this imagery, and I'm going to get back to this repetitive, like, <coughs> symbolic imagery in a second, but um, why I think that's also important is because, um, or why it's important to me, I guess I should say, <coughs> is because I'm thinking a lot about the impermanence of these kinds of things that we assign symbols, or like, the way we assign value to certain things. Am I still making sense? Yeah. Hopefully? Okay. So... All right, so like something like my red tennis shoes, right? Um, you know, those become symbolic for me of a lot of things. And a lot of that's personal. It's not something that you guys are going to know. But, you know, most of you probably have a pair of tennis shoes, right? Theoretically, I mean, unless you're, you know, you've owned a pair of tennis shoes in your lifetime. Um, you know, these sort of ordinary objects become reflective of our, of our humanity, right? So... Um, my engagement with these things repetitive, like over and over and over again in this repetitive manner has a lot to do with kind of how as I've gotten older I think about how little I know about anything and so I want to kind of regularly re revisit these same images because in my mind it's like this I'm not uh, I am not Buddhist I don't know anything about it except this tiny thing that I'm going to say, um, which is, you know, it has to do with this, this way that you can sort of be on a path to know a thing through repetition. You guys with me? Yes. Make sense? Okay. So the mark, this, repeti this repetition, you know, like kind of like, um, you know, you think you know a person, but like really you just, there's how little you know about how little <coughs> we know and understand one another is so significant, you know? And this, my re this like repetition and use of symbolism is kind of my way of honoring how little I know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it may. All right. <laughs> I know I'm saying that a lot, but um, I want to just make sure I'm like here with me. So, I um, I read this really killer book, and um, maybe some of you guys have read it, but because Youngstown actually plays a pretty wonderful element in it, but it's called the Unpa Unwinding, and it's by um, the author named George. His name is George Packer. And um, it was released, maybe it was published maybe like three or four years ago, I think. And it talks a lot about culturally how um, institutions that we came, we, cultural institutions that we came to rely on or cultural ideas that we come to rely on have totally fallen apart, right? So um, it's, the political situation we're in right now is relatively unavoidable, but even if you've got your head in the sand, like, you know that, especially in a place like Youngstown, you know, there's a lot of talk about industry failing and what kind of jobs we have and these kinds of things, right? So this idea of, um, you know, the middle class life of, uh, you know, going to school, getting a job, getting a house, you know, et cetera, these kind of cultural American, again, American in quotes, traditions are sort of dissolving, right? You, know, you guys get so so again this kind of idea of this impermanence you know like um, especially in this drawing I was thinking a lot about the way um, I even now like entering middle age I'm thinking and revisiting things that I didn't realize I had sort of um, accepted again like as a cultural reality like even something like a home home ownership. You know, I know you guys, I don't, well, I don't, you guys are a mixed bag in terms of age, but like, you know, the, the housing market crisis was this, this enormous thing, right? And it just, it totally shifted things culturally for us and how we kind of anticipate what we might do in, in our adult, in our adulthood. And I was just, I've been thinking a lot about these things, like as a, you know, as a middle class, working class kid who elected to be an artist, which is this like totally weird thing that there's no road, <laughs> roadmap for. Um, I still kind of like hold on to these like cultural things. So I'm just trying to kind of um, be reflective of how, how these things are shifted 
shifting? And then how do I continue to record the things that I hold on to that symbolize symbolize some of these same ideas? Did I, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You know, so stuff like, you know, this blimp, these lawn chairs, these, you know, all of these things come from my life, you know? Um, this John Wayne image um, is actually, I took this from a, uh, my dad had this um, old movie poster called, um, what was the movie? Tall in the Saddle, which is this John Wayne movie. And this thing sat in his work, um, well, sat, hung, got shoved <coughs> in a corner of his um, uh, work area, you know, which was a basement, a garage or whatever, my entire life. And so for me, this was a way to kind of bring it into my, bring it forward into my life and then preserve it. So, you know, and, you know, John Wayne, the cowboy, all these things, you know, all that's kind of how we perceive these things is changing as it will, right? You know, culture shifts. So I'm regularly, you know, these lawn chairs, I don't even think they make, I mean, I'm, I'm buying them at like vintage places, but I don't think they make these anymore, right? Do you guys know these lawn chairs? Yeah? Okay, they're like so 70s, so 80s, 70s, whatever. Um, you know, this, this, this sort of like backyard, you know, uh, <laughs> Budweiser drinking, you know, summer kind of party, a lot of this is shifting. Our culture is shifting. These things still happen, but our perception of them is, is changing, right? And I, um, I, I, I really treat the, each drawing as a kind of, um, they're diaristic, you know, like, so if you were to sit down in front of your diary, and you know, you, you might begin by talking about the events in that particular day, but as you continue to write, you know, your brain is just kind of wandering all over your life. <coughs> and so, you know, I, when I go into the studio to make, uh, to make a drawing, I have preliminary sketches, but inevitably what ends up happening is, like I keep making this gesture, because I kind of, as I'm working, I kind of keep just adding and dumping things into each, into each drawing. Um, and so, so while, they're, um, while they're directly referencing things from my past or from my, even my personal history, um, other things will happen, um, like, the beloved prince dying in March. And so, you know, there's this uh, little red Corvette back here um, because he was a really important figure to me. So, you know, and that happens, and then this drawing starts to happen around that event. And then other things sort of keep getting dumped in there. Um, so each, each drawing operates in this <coughs> same way. You know, I'll set out with an idea. Sorry, you two standing here at the back. But the, you know, the stack of cars, um, I taught a, uh, um, like a summer workshop for high school kids at the Cleveland Institute of Art this summer, and I had these 14-year-old girls in my class, and I was talking to them kind of like, okay, so what do you think, of, what are you thinking about your future, what do you want to do, these kinds of things, and they, they at 14 are like, well, I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to be a psychology major and an art major, and I'm going to do it, you know, and they're already, you know, they're doing this summer school stuff, and they're totally just like, you know, and when I was 14, all I wanted to get was my fucking driver's license, you know, yeah. like I didn't, you know, uh, this, a lot of this, like, uh, you know, again, it's this cultural shifting, so, you know, that's what ultimately inspired that drawing, those are all, the, those are cars that I have owned in my lifetime, but then as I'm working, I just sort of am, uh, dumping. So that uh, fauna, the foliage in the bottom right of that drawing, that's actually from the Beach Boys Endless Summer album cover. Um, the silhouetted figure, does anybody know who that is? That's not Emma Dillon or someone? No, no close. Simon yes, who's that? Who knew it was Simon Garfunkel? Nice dude. Sounds of silence. You guys should own this record. It's amazing. It's very important. Okay, but so that's directly, you know, I trace them from the, you know, the actual record that I have. You know, so again, it's this like kind of record keeping. Um, and I think that's important, at least for me as an artist, because uh, I feel a kind of responsibility to be reflective of the times in which I live. 
um, you know, to be engaged in the culture that I live in, to be cognizant of what's happening around me. And I don't necessarily have to make work about that, but um, for me, it's still very much about this, like, it's this totally dumb artist thing, right? Like, I was here, you know? Like, you, like writing on the cave wall, <laughs> like, I existed, you know? Um, so, so while there are these very personal narratives that reflect, again, you know, like my shoes, my experience of the Goodyear blend, the, you know, all that kind of stuff, the imagery is pretty like quotidian and regular and hopefully accessible. Um, but then, you know, I'm adding, I continue to add and respond to things as they're happening in, in real time. Um, I know I haven't been talking very long. It feels like it. Does someone, it's hot in here too. Does, can somebody have a question? Yes, blue hair in the back. Um, now, going about your craft is amazing, but how do you layer everything together? Because it is very beautiful the way you layer it. Um, you mean like, like literally, like physically, how do I do it? Or compositionally? And then move it around, and then do it. Oh yeah. So I have a shit ton of pictures where I'm like, literally for like six hours, I'm like, you know. And then eventually I'll glue. And then eventually I'll glue it. You know. Um, I will say that I um, I it, you well, it's funny. It still ended up working this way this summer, but I uh, am a very like singularly focused you know, uh, worker. So it's been the case for a long time in my life that I could only ever work on one thing at a time. Why is that a drag? Well, because some of these things that I'm doing take, they're really like labor intensive, you know? And I'll be like pumped to go into my studio and then the last thing I wanna do is spend three hours carefully cutting out a tree, you know? But that's like the only thing I have to do that day, right? So I've started to um, try to kind of work on multiple things at once to save myself some of this aggravation. Um, uh, and through that process, I've started to be a little more irreverent, a little more prepared to make some mistakes. So like something like this massive thing, um, you know, I'm kind of working on different areas at a time, and I've started to just kind of attach things um, without thinking about it too much. That said, this wonderful thing happened to me where I rediscovered carbon paper. Do you all know what this is? Okay, like, I mean, again, it's so old school, right? Like carbon checks, carbon typewriter, you know? Okay, so I bought these boxes of carbon paper and what I've started to do is I'm making um, preliminary, so like something like this heron is drawn, and I've used the airbrush a little bit, but I will draw the heron on um, tissue paper, or not tissue paper, I'm sorry, tracing paper, and then I move that, I can move that around, right? So cool, it's like so innovative and exciting for me. Um, and then, you know, using the carbon paper, I can lay it event when I eventually find the spot. Um, this stuff is like no big deal, I get, but it's like so awesome for me because it helps expedite, you know, some of the process. And truthfully, it allows me to, um, like something like this, this drawing and then these two on the, these two on the back walls here don't have any collage physical collage in them. They're all drawn and painted. And part of why that started to happen in my practice now, see look, you asked this wonderful question and I just could go on forever. Okay, so I, so for the longest time, I, and still, I collect tons and tons of old books. Um, really specifically um, books from like the 30s to the 60s or 70s because 60s, it's, it was a time in publishing when um, more often than not, hand-drawn or drawn <coughs> illustrations were used instead of photographs. And I, I collect a lot of these um, like bird identification books and tree identification and things like that. 
And for years, I told myself that I was, um, quote, preserving these books by cutting them apart and putting them in my work, right? <laughs> like, I totally justified that to myself. Like, no, really, see, now it'll go in this thing, it'll be in a frame, and then, you know, somehow that's, whatever. Um, so what I'm able to, with this <laughs> uh, discovery of the tracing paper and the carbon paper, I've started to actually um, take images, you know, take photographs of the images that I draw, you know, draw from in these books. And then I'm using an iPad the way I would have used a um, overhead projector a long time ago. Did you guys know what an overhead projector is? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, uh, you know, and then I'm able to use that fabulous function, the whatever it is, zoom in and out. I know, I sound like a crazy person. Um, I'm, I'm really illiterate when it comes to this stuff. Like, it really is newfangled and very exciting to me, and I know it's like not even remotely cool at all. But I use that feature, and then I'm able to scale up and shift and do all this kind of stuff with these images, <coughs> trace it, and then use the carbon paper to place it in the work. So I could see now, having figured that out, um, even getting, it's funny, I totally hesitate to say that, but like I said, these last two drawings, they don't have any found paper or any collage in them. So I could see in the very least getting away from kind of cutting up books. Boy, that was a long answer. Thank you. Claudia? I was going to ask if you worked on one piece at a time or multiple pieces. So you answered that. Uh, yeah. And, and I don't know if like because this beast, you know, I worked on this thing for like two months. It was so, it was kind of big enough that I could work in sections. Um, and that was kind of like working on more than one drawing. <laughs> in fact, it was the only thing that fits in my studio because I have this tiny room in my house that I use, so I couldn't actually do anything else while I was doing this. But um, any other, how about another? Yes. Uh, what are the biggest challenges you face with this style of art? Wow, what does that mean? Well, is there uh, any, any difficulties <laughs> to it? Uh, what's, what's the most trying part? You mean, what do you mean by difficulties? Like, um, what do you have the most trouble with? You have to get like writer's block. Writer's block? Like an artist's block. Sure. Yeah. Is that what you. Yeah, it's, it's a long line. It's an element yeah. of it. Are there any challenges to it? I mean, or is it just a breeze through that? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> it's not a breeze. Um, but, you know, that said, like, um, uh, I am definitely, like, even back to this, like, kind of fantasy thing, like, uh, my, my studio is, like, that's the heart of my life, right? It's where I get to be whatever I want to be. You know what I mean? So I have very carefully carved that space out where it's like, if I want to do this, I'm going to fucking do this, you know? Yeah. You know? Like, uh, I try very hard not to think about um, what lives and exists outside of my studio, as long as I'm in there, you know? Now, as soon as I go out the door, it's like, you know, all kinds of things happen. You know, there's all kinds of anxieties about um, doing stuff, anything. Um, especially even, like, narrative, narrative sort of base work with these kind of fantasy elements, you know, can be treated in a um, cutesy, you know, way, which is certainly not something that I would want for the life of my work, you know. But um, I have to be true to what I want to do and what I want to make, you know. Um, and, and it's funny, I served on a panel, actually, this is many years ago, uh, with a bunch of, like, dude, like, painters, you know? <laughs> and it, and they're friends of mine, so I can say that. But we we're all, so we're all sitting up there, and someone asked a kind of similar question, kind of like, what problems do you face in your practice? And these, and my, my one of my dearest friends, Aaron, was like, <laughs> was like, he was like, well, right now, I'm, I'm looking at this passage of light on the floor, and I'm thinking about how would I render that light in a painting later, you know? And I am, like, cracking up, you know, because, again, like, and that's Aaron, and it's wonderful, and he makes this killer work, and it's all cool, but, like I said, it's, it's so vital to me that it just, that space, this, this is where I'm maximally, like, who I imagine myself to be. Does that answer your question? Okay. Okay. Um, and in terms of writer, like writer's block or artist, yeah, sure, it happens. I mean, you're the, the creative practices, uh, the creative thing. It's a there's an ebb and flow, you know. Um, 
it doesn't all come at once, but you know, for most, most artists I know, we all have jobs. And so I think it can happen a little bit, a little bit less because there can regularly be downtime that you don't have any control over. So you're just kind of, I'm regularly chomping at the bit to get back to my studio. Yes. Mm-hmm. You also said that you're a little bit of a fantasy geek, so mm-hmm. if you had a time machine Whoa. and you could go <laughs> okay. you want 100 years into the future oh my God. and listen to people talk about your work, what would you hope they would be saying about your work? A uh, <laughs> hundred years in the future, what do I hope they're saying about my work? Oh my God. I have no... Um, it's so awesome I just I don't know Um, I guess maybe the best I could hope for is um, (laughs) like a sense of wonder you know Um, which is something I would want now so hopefully hopefully that's all yeah, yeah, I love that. It remains wonderful for a hundred years it plus. It still exists. Yeah, yeah, right. That, and it still exists, yeah. Yeah, one would hope that it isn't all in the garbage somewhere because that's entirely possible, too. <laughs> um, somebody else? See, it's so much nicer when you ask questions. Well, why don't you tell us, like, like what kind of paper you use and what Ooh. materials you use? Okay. Um, okay, so I am super, pa- so, so Chris has asked me what kind of paper I use. I'm super nerd about paper, and the super drag of my life right now is that um, I uh, have for, I don't know, almost 10 years, bought my paper from a store in New York City called New York Central Art Supply, um, and they were the greatest art supply store uh, in the United States of America. And they had this killer um, paper collection, and I could call them. I used to get this fat catalog, and I would just like totally geek out. Like it's like getting like if you're a gardener and you get your seed catalog, and you're like, oh, the little this, little that, you know. So I would call them, and they'd send me samples, and then I know what paper I love, and then I, you know, whatever, place the order, and they'd <laughs> ship me the, you know, whatever. Uh, so after 110 years, they closed this summer. Uh, and it's, it's so, and it's like this cultural icon, it's this iconic place in New York. Anyway, um, so this paper I use is, um, often it's a Somerset textured paper. Um, who cares? You guys don't, but, uh, why it's important is, sorry dude, so something like this, right, this charcoal, you guys know this, like, you guys have at some point, I would imagine, seen like a watercolor paper versus like your regular, like, photocopy paper, right? two very different things. So, you know, the kind of paper I use has a, a texture, has a tooth to it. Have you guys heard of this before? Yeah. Right? So I need that tooth in order to retain all of the pigment I'm trying to put into the surface of the paper. If I had a really um, slick, smooth surface, um, it wouldn't retain, you know, something like this charcoal or the airbrush or this whole waterfall of blue pastel, which is just sticks sticks of pastel that I'm rubbing into the surface. Um, That's shifting for me a tiny bit. So these are, um, it's so funny, what is it? I can't think of what it's called. It's a newer, it's a, I've been using it for a while, but it's, this paper is better for um, the airbrush, for the airbrush. Um, So, which is, which I have, Heather. Okay, so, um, anybody in here, who's in Lauren's class? So Lauren and I went to the same graduate program. You guys, again, who cares? But the head of our um, department is a um, total badass sculptor who um, airbrushes like fetish, fetish finish, like um, think of like the fanciest hot rod you've ever seen, you know, like in some like Dukes of Hazard episode or something, you know, like, you know, flames and all this kind of stuff. Um, so she taught me how to airbrush about a year and a half ago, and this was another real shift um, for me in my work because 
So it used to be the case, and it's not so present in here, but um, I would use this, I would use a pastel um, as the ground, right? So for the longest time, what I would do is I would go into the studio, lay out my paper, and then <laughs> spend hours just like, <laughs> you know, like with these sticks of pastel, like making a surface. Um, but, you know, as you know, pastel is a chalk, so it's this powdery thing that you can't then really do much with. Um, so, except glue onto it. So this is the collage. So for the longest time, my practice was sort of built around this, like, lame, like, one-two, one-two. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would, I would only, I was very limited in how I was able to work into the drawing. So once I started airbrushing, um, what I'm able to do now is I can spray paint and then airbrush and then pastel and then charcoal and then gouache, draw, paint. I can go back in and out of the surface of these drawings in a way that <coughs> I, I, I haven't been able to. And that is really, really exciting for me um, because drawing is absolutely my favorite thing to do in the world. And, um, you know, so now, you know, that original surface, I can, you know, I can spray it. I can collage. I can paint on top of that. I can wash on it. I can draw again. I can, you guys get what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, it's effectively multiplied um, the, the surface of my drawings. So, um, Something like, you know, John Wayne's, uh, I can't call it a scarf, he would be so mad, right? John Wayne doesn't wear scarves. What is that called? Bandana. Bandana, thank you. Uh, who said, what did you tell? I said ascot. Ascot, no, that's British. <laughs> Not cowboy, right? Okay, so, so yeah, so his bandana, this is airbrushed, right? So I, you know, I, Drew, so again, I drew, made a stencil, airbrushed, and then went back in and drew to give it this sense of dimensionality. Um, you know, um, and then I started to, so the cooler is airbrushed. <coughs> this is, um, you know, acrylic drawing. Um, the lantern is airbrushed. What, and what's awesome about it is that the, the fade or the way I would um, treat, bless you, treat the <laughs> surface of the drawing with the pastels, like creating these passages where colors are kind of blending in and out of each other, I'm able to totally mimic with, with the airbrush. Um, but it just allows me to work with that many more different um, kinds of media. And then I'm, I'm like, I'm a uh, not savvy, I feel like. So I'm like, well, this would be best in red acrylic. So I'm going to like, kind of whatever I've elected to draw or paint will determine what media I use, medium, medium I use. Question? Yeah. Do you ever just like, um, like since you started using airbrush, will you just like delete like a whole part of your paint? Like if you put some, something somewhere and later on you're Yeah, I actually, this is, you, I mean, thankfully you can't see it, but um, when I was working on this drawing, I had actually drawn a bridge up here, you know, and it's this, I mean, I, this really intricate, like, small fucking bridge, right? I drew, like, four hours of my life just like, mm -mm, mm -mm. okay, and then it looked horrible, <laughs> you know, and, it, and then, it, you know, and then you guys know this, I'm sure, like, you just... You're working, and then you'll kind of like, you'll do something that you would not, you don't like, and then you, what do you do? You just kind of avoid it for as long as you can, right? Like, yeah. I'm drawing, I'm doing over here, but like the whole time, it's like up there. So, um, yeah, so eventually I was able to, I came up with a way to solve it, and thankfully did, you know? Um, but I guess that's kind of what I, in answer to the first um, young person's question back here, like, um, I'm able to be a little, like I said, a little more irreverent, a little, I'm kind of, uh, the pastel is so delicate and powdery and, you know, this, I'm able to kind of handle the drawings in a way that I wasn't before. Yes, Maui. Sorry, you're right. <laughs> um, so you have, like, everything, all of your drawings and stuff are stories about your life, and um, you, like, love to do the 
did you want your neighbor to have like an assurance that you were you were going or did you eventually like explain the background of everything you put in your art? No, I mean uh, the wonder, you know. Um, I think it's so vital that we're able to say, I don't know, you know, um, you know, um, you know, uh, mystery, mystery, it's just, it's so, it's so vital to our, our lives, you know, so I, that sense of wonder is pretty important, and then I don't think that I, because I don't set out, I don't, like, while I very much identify as a storyteller, I'm not this sort of, like, narrative um, like once upon a time, the end, you know, it's this more kind of poetic passages of things. There's a lot of vignettes. There's a lot of different things happening at once. Um, hopefully that gives, you know, viewers a space to, you know, find, you know, build, build something for themselves. Yeah. You know, I, I, God, I keep saying that for no one public speaking thing. Um, uh, I, I, Obviously, if you're, I'm trying to think of something that would be crazy, but um, it's so funny. I can't. It's so funny. I can't think of something. But like, if you're if you're like walk away from this drawing and be thinking about the Black Plague or something, I might be like, hmm, it's interesting. Wonder. Tell me. Tell me how you. Tell me how that happens. You know, like, you know, I can't. I'm still a responsible maker. I am still attempting to communicate things. You know, like I said about. Um, the world I live in, you know, so if someone, you know, I mean, again, I can't control it. People are going to do all kinds of things. I want that mystery to exist, but I am still driving at things with specific images that are, um, belong to a particular time and place. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, some of your earlier work did have a progressive narrative to it. It did. Yes. When did you decide to the more individual kinds of um, I think that I think it really has a lot to do with how I'm able to make now like it is almost like um, so I don't know if you guys are, can you hear Chris but she's I did so I did one in particular I did a body of work maybe <coughs> four or five years ago that was this sort of long form narrative over over like 15 artworks I did this big cycle and but it was it was at this time when I was doing this like pastel ground and then a collaging on top of it and so I think that with this um, reintroduction of drawing really just like pencil you know where I'm able to multiply within a single drawing that's kind of like what helped shift me away from that. Another question. The metallic stuff. Yeah. Fireflies. The the fireflies. These guys. I'm just like thinking of like this one little club that's kind of like gold. Oh, here. Yeah. yeah, it's gold spray paint. Oh, okay. Not like um. Although I'm not good <coughs> about this stuff, it's not like straight up like Home Depot garage spray paint. It's yeah. like fancy, you know, art spray paint. Yeah. It's by, made by Golden. It's really high, highly pigment. And it's supposed to be somewhat archival. I don't know if that's actually true, but you know they like to tell us these things, and we like to believe them because maybe a hundred years from now, someone will be able to look right, okay, at the drawing. <laughs> so, mm. any other questions? Can you talk about the two out front that look like notebook paper? The Zeppelin drawings? Yeah, the Zeppelin yes. drawings. Okay. So, um, okay, so wait. Yeah, you guys know. Did you get those jokes? Anybody? Kind of? A little bit? I mean, they may not be funny, but... <laughs> okay, so... Um, so, yeah, like, so back to this kind of, like, this studio being the place where I do whatever I want. Um, I... I have a real sense of uh, like I said, a reverence and a sense of humor, and I love rock and roll, and these things happen right, you know, like, those, both of those, I mean, you guys live in Youngstown, like, so you've got to hear the same thing I do on classic rock stations, right, like, it's what time is? to get the lead out, you know, right. whatever, right, yeah. classic rock, you know, so this is my entire <laughs> life, I grew up out just outside of Akron, you know, and 
And then it's just, they turn into like stupid, I'm laughing the whole time I'm making them, you know, like, but, you know, they become these kinds of puns. And then, you know, the way I'm, I sort of give myself permission to do it is by making these, you know, so though I'm sure you guys have figured this out, but you know, those aren't pieces of notebook paper. I've drawn a picture of notebook paper, right? Uh, it's like trompoy, fancy, okay? And then, you know, I'm using the airbrush and just, you know, making these, these jokes. And those are, for me, those are just like these one-off, I do it in a day. Um, it's kind of like another way to get, you know, if I've been laboring over something for a long time, it's a place for me to just, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I did this, I did, you know, I did this awesome one. I did this awesome <laughs> one for the for the Cavs. It's in the faculty show at CIA right now, but it's just like a Cleveland Cavaliers basketball, and it just says yes really big <laughs> over it, and it's on a number page. So it's just like these little kind of, you know, just little, uh, I don't know, little just little pauses in the bigger practice, you know. Um, how, what time is it? I feel like it's been like it's twenty minutes. Ten of two. Oh, but this. Which, you know, that's a respectable time. Are you sure? Yeah. You guys, do you have any other questions? Yes, in the back. Um, how do you pick, like, some of the subjects in these papers? Like, I see literature over here. Are those like the Asian themes? And then you've got, like, other, like, men stuff. Some other what stuff? So I'm glad you um, mentioned the Asian. Um, I am profoundly inspired by like Hiroshige and um, <coughs> Hokusai, like the Japanese woodblock, woodblock prints. Um, those are some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. And again, like a good mimic. I've been trying to, I've been bringing that kind of imagery into my work for a long time. Um, in fact, for the longest time, well, I mean, a long time, like a, a couple of years. I only used blue in my work. I didn't use any other colors um, because I love. I just love that work so much. And I was trying to figure out how to get those fades and everything. So um, there's something about that kind of um, the way they just so breathtakingly represent the landscape around them, you know, uh, that again is something I'm really drawn to. And then if you know this, this term that, um, the floating world, you know this? You guys know this? In terms of the Japanese woodblock prints, you know, they talked images of the floating world, you'll see this, but it's it's re referring specifically to um, a sort of, um, uh, you guys know guys and dolls? Yeah. Okay, that was you. Anyway? <laughs> but, so guys and dolls, in guys and dolls, there's a floating craps, crap game, like Marlon Brando and Frank Sinatra in the movie. It has to move around, right? Because otherwise they'll get in trouble. Well, this this same um, kind of idea existed. You know, these images of floating world. These um, uh, courtes not courtesans. What are they called? You know, <coughs> geishas. Thank you. Um, you know, this sort of like seedy underbelly. You know, was this like moving thing? And I liked that idea of a floating world. You know, in a really literal way. You know, again, this liminality, this kind of spaces hovering and that kind of thing. So. That's part of it. And then, I don't know, you know, otherwise I'm just like, I read something like, uh, I read this beautiful interview with David Foster Wallace, if you guys know that writer, he's talking about psychic sludge, you know, this like the shit that just like kind of like is regularly there. It's like that hum in your life that's just like, gr you know, kind of grinding at you. And so that I, and so I made this little drawing of, you know, again, responding to this idea and then I'm just kind of dumping. <coughs> Dumping into it. Okay, there were other hands. Yes. <coughs> you seem to be listening and studying this, the, this whole from top to bottom. What catches my eyes? You have that buffalo in the section there, and then the was it falling and plunging the acorns or dead? Yep. What was the inspiration? <laughs> um, do you guys? So again, I just remember every. I'm a thief, just constantly. Okay. <laughs> So um, again, so famous artist named David Wanarovich. He's a photographer. He was a photographer in the '80s. He was HIV positive. He died from complications of AIDS. Um, he uh, took this very famous. It became an iconic image um, of a uh, 
um, what's that called? A little like a shoebox. You make them in elementary school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He took a he took a picture of a diorama of buffalo being sent over a cliff, um, like at the Smithsonian in D.C. or something in the '80s or in New York or somewhere. And the image came to represent how, um, frankly, the government were treating um, gay men who were HIV positive. How they were totally silent about um, uh, how these men were dying and this disease was killing everyone, <coughs> and they were ignoring what was happening. Um, and he was using the buffalo as a metaphor for, um, you know, uh, Native Americans would use this as a method to hunt. So they would send buffalo over a cliff and then go down and um, take, take them apart and use everything and all the rest of it. And so he, was used, he used that image as a metaphor for this, this way that um, this whole population of people were being treated. And so when I, um, this drawing in particular without making it like maximally personal, I was thinking actually, I, 20 years ago my parents got divorced, right? 20 years ago. Um, and yet it's something I still kind of like regularly, I'm like, boy, that changed a lot of stuff in my life, right? And I just, I, along with this book this, that I started to talk about, this unwinding, um, again, these ideas, these things that we think will be the same always in our lives, but then you just, you know, we, we all know this, you know, they change. And so I was just kind of thinking about that, this again, this idea of everything kind of falling apart. So um, U2, the band, you know, they had a, a you guys know the song One, I hope. Yeah. Um, their single cover for that little album, when they released it as a single, they used this, this image. So I think I saw was one other hand over here. Yes. Do you have like a routine or a creative process when doing your projects? Um, like I, I mean, I like I said, I do. I keep a notebook of sketches. I make notes. You know, things will come to me, and I make notes using my phone. But I regularly like um, do a a plan sketch. I keep all of those, and then I just as soon as I can get into the studio, I'm just I'm really building. You know. Like some artists, like I have a really good friend who is a sculptor, and she invents things, you know? Like you guys know these artists? Like they just like, they're awesome. They're just like, they invent, you know? They're just like, there's nothing, and then they like make a thing. You know what I mean? This is not me, obviously, because <laughs> I am like just stealing, thieving, copying, you know? Um, so it's really this building process, you know? Um, and that could totally just describe describe the whole thing. So, anybody else? There's whispering, whispering happening. This is your last chance. <laughs> <laughs> they're fine. <laughs> I think they're cool. Okay, well. All right, cool. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you.